I want you to take just a second, and just in your mind, you don't have to say anything out loud, I want you to think what comes to mind when you think of Christmas, right? Just take a second and process that. What are the things that come to mind? You might be thinking of things like trees, right, or decorations, or maybe about your faith, right, or maybe about family or a certain tradition you have, or snow, or any, or maybe a a TV show that you watched every year that came around during Christmas. But at some point, we all have to think about gifts, right? We all have to think about gifts. In fact, gifts are a huge part of our Christmas season. And to some of you, you're like, that's what's wrong with Christmas, right? And, and I get your point, right? You do have a point in, in part of it, right? But some of you get excited because you love gifts. They're such a great part of Christmas. And no matter what part uh, you are on, no matter what team you are on, we can all admit they're a huge part of Christmas. And if you don't believe me, just watch traffic as we get closer and closer to Christmas time, right? How many of you have a commute where you have to go by like the mall or a big shopping center, right? It gets terrible during this time of the year, right? Gift giving has always been a part of my Christmas or, and receiving gifts. In fact, that's the way it starts, right? It starts when you're a little kid. Gifts are like the best thing you can ever imagine when you're a little kid. I guarantee that many of you in here can remember a specific example of a gift you got when you were young. Maybe the first one that made you just really excited about Christmas. I can remember one of mine uh, because what happens is uh, my family would all get together by the tree. And we just had a few gifts, but we always got like one really good gift every year. And one year, I didn't get my really good gift. Yeah, and I was like, what did I, what did I do that was wrong? I had to watch like my sisters open their gifts. What did I do that was wrong? But my parents, they strategically waited all the way to the end of the morning to say, oh yeah, there's one more gift in the garage, right? Ah, okay. And I went out there, and it was just this disassembled uh, basketball hoop that me and my dad built the rest of the day on Christmas and used. And I just, it's a memory I have. And I'm sure you guys have those memories of a kid, as a kid, just of, of that gift you got. There were also lots of times where I was a really bad gift receiver as a child. Um, one time, my grandma gave me a gift. It was so sweet. It was so kind. But I was young, and I just, I really was ungrateful for the gift she gave me. And I remember my mom got so mad at me on that Christmas. And that's another memory I have just of, just of how gifts have played a role in my Christmas. And, and now, as I'm getting older, I got to kind of enjoy the other side of Christmas, Christmas which is giving right? A chance to give gifts. And I don't know where you stand, but I actually like giving gifts, I've discovered, a lot more than getting gifts, right? I don't really need that much, but I really like to give gifts. Um, almost annoyingly, I like to give them, right? And I'm, one of my proudest moments was with my wife, because uh, I always try and give my wife a good gift because she has to put up with me like the whole year, right? And so one time, we didn't have a lot of money, but my wife loves to bake, and so I know that she really wanted a KitchenAid. And so what I did is I slowly just started, like, saving money cash so she couldn't really see that it was coming out. And so she couldn't know that I bought something. And I just, and then I hid it. And one day, I, like, found a way to, like, sneak it in and, like, shove it somewhere in our closet where she couldn't find it. And when she opened it, 
she literally screamed. Like she screamed the loudest I've ever heard her scream. We lived in an apartment complex. My family was all there. This was like one of our first Christmases as a married couple. I was like, well, she's all the way in now. But she loved that gift. But one thing I've discovered in my gift giving is that even though gift giving is loving and it's selfless and you try and put other people first, the truth is it's not all selfless. In fact, I've realized one of the reasons I like giving gifts so much is because sometimes giving gifts is all about being in control, right? When you get a gift, you just have to wait, right? You just have to get surprised. That's, I don't like that. I like to be in control. I like to plan. I like to try and do these types of things, right? And that's why I like giving gifts. If you think about it, you get to manipulate people's emotions if you're good at it, right? Well, I guess either way you do, right? If you have kids, there's nothing more amazing than, than just seeing their face light up, giving them a gift, right? It's almost like You get to make them happy. You get to make them love you. Sometimes you have those family members where maybe your relationship's not as good as it has been, and at Christmas it's like, oh, maybe this is a chance for me to kind of make things right a little bit, just give a good gift. Sometimes it's like a game, a test, right? I want to see how how, how much I, I know people. Hopefully I can gain my friends and my family's love and affection and interest through giving gifts. And if we're going to be honest today, I'll be honest with you guys. I think I'm a good gift giver, and I think I try and put other people first, but sometimes we like to be in control because sometimes there's gifts we give that we get to use too, right? How many of you have ever done this, right? You give a gift that you know somebody wants in your family, but you're like, I get to use this gift as well too. And I also would be lying if if I didn't tell you the truth that I have occasionally given someone a gift that I wanted more for them than they wanted for them, all right? The reason I know this is all true is because my wife gave me a list this year for Christmas, and I realized I hate lists because I want to choose what you want. I don't want you to choose what you want, right? I'm not saying that's the right way to behave. I'm just letting you guys into my life, all right? Sometimes giving is all about being in control. We want to choose what to do. And it, and it goes that way in life kind of all the time. And I found that as I discover this and laugh at myself as I do it with something as trivial as Christmas presents, that it can also be true in my faith as well. Right? Because if you follow Jesus, you should, you should have a heart, you should have a desire to give to him. I know I do. But sometimes it's hard exactly how much I want to give to him or when I want to give to him, Uh, because I want to be in control, right? I want to be in control of my stuff. I want to be in control of my money, and my house, and my car, and my gas, and, you know, who comes into my home, and all these things, right? My time, I want to be in control of all this stuff. And so, when I'm trying to give to God, sometimes I I get caught in this tension of, of how, how how do I balance this, right? Because if, if you haven't met me, if I haven't met you, I'm a student pastor, right? On a day when it's sunny and I had a good night's sleep and all this stuff, oh, my car is like, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. You need a ride? It's all yours, right? But if, if I didn't sleep a lot the night before and I'm tired and it's raining, right, sometimes when it's not convenient, 
I don't know if I'm as in a giving mood. Sometimes, right, maybe in my own finances, it's in, especially in my history, it's like, well, do I give to God now or do I wait and see if I still have money left over at the end of the month? Sometimes we want to be in control even when we want to give, right? Sometimes we want to know the outcome before we give. Sometimes we want to know there's something in it for us when we give. And I would imagine that I'm not the only one in the room with this sort of feeling. I'd imagine I'm not the only one who's ever had a heart who's wanted to give, but maybe struggled with the idea of completely letting go of all they have to offer. He said, I'll give if it's on my terms, if I can control it. And I don't know where each and every one of you is, but we all have different stories this holiday season. Some of us are just struggling. We're just trying to, to meet ends. We're just trying to make Christmas happen. We're just trying to somehow put everything together. Some of us are, are troubled for other reasons, or it's just a tough season. Maybe we're, we're fighting with someone, or, or we've had loss, or we can't be with a loved one who, we, who we'd like to be with. Some of us, things are going good, but we're just in control, right? And, and we think everything's going to work out perfectly because we've got a hold of it. We've got our plan. Nothing is going to change from that plan. But, but whatever brings you here today, they all, they all affect us in the way that God might be calling us to give to him. In this series, we're talking about how we worship God. And one of the ways we worship God is that we bring him gifts. And so what is God asking you to bring? What do you have to offer? What is it maybe that you're struggling to offer? Maybe you're struggling to let go of complete control with to give to him during this season. And why might you be struggling with that? Is it your money? Is it opening up your home? Is it your car? Is it your gifts and your talents, your time? Is it you? What do you have to offer? Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible that shows us a group of people who were able to give freely to God in worship. And it's all because of how they viewed Jesus. And so if you guys want to open up your Bible, right, our Bibles have two main parts, our Old Testament and our New Testament, and in the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament, all right? So open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, and there's one really important thing I want you to know about Matthew, all right? Matthew is an account of Jesus' life, and Matthew is writing to an audience that is Jewish. The reason this is important is because because his audience is Jewish, they already have a faith system. And they already have heroes of their faith. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Moses, right? He's pretty famous. Maybe you've heard of a guy named King David, David and Goliath. They already have heroes of the faith. And so if Matthew is going to be successful in telling a story about Jesus' life, he has to highlight the areas of Jesus' life that talk about who he is. Because who he is has the ability to affect the life change in these people. 
And so we come into Matthew's gospel, his telling of Jesus' life, and he starts with this big, long list of names, which is the family that Jesus comes from, because he wants his audience to know he comes from the right family. And then he talks about the birth and how it fulfills some of the Old Testament scripture. And then in chapter 2, our story picks up after Jesus has been born. And the first people we meet are these people called the Magi. Or maybe you've heard wise men. And we don't know a lot about these people necessarily, but we know that they came far from the east, and we know that they study the stars, and we know that they believed something about someone who had just been born. In fact, as I, as I read this story more, it, it's kind of shocking to me that these people, who, who I can't tell have any sort of faith in the Jewish religion, know about something that is about to take place. And something is moving inside them that they would travel this far just to see if it was true. And so we pick up in verse 2, and this is what it says about these wise men. They came and they were asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star and it's rising and have come to pay homage or come to worship. They've heard of a king and they are coming to worship. And on their way, they run into another character, someone we know as King Herod. King Herod, he's under the Roman rule, but he is the king of the Jewish people in Judea. And we get kind of mixed signals in history about Herod. It seems sometimes he might have tried to help out the Jewish people a little bit, but ultimately it seems that he failed. In fact, we get a story in history from him where he built a golden eagle, which is an idol on the front of the temple. And that eagle also had symbology that that resonated with Rome. And so how do you think that might have made the Jewish people feel? Right? It seemed no matter what he did, he always, he always seemed to side with Rome rather than the people he was supposed to be leading. And we also know this about King Herod, that because he loved being king, he seemed to be very envious of anyone coming to take his place. And so how might he take this news that there is a king of the Jews to be born now? In fact, that's his title, isn't it? He's king of the Jews. How do you think that must have made him feel? And because he was troubled, he gathered everyone in his court. He tried to take anyone possible to find out where this child might be so that he could make sure that this king did not grow up to replace him. And nobody can figure out anything, but he hears about the wise men. And he hears that they've come all this way. And he hears that they might have an idea of who Jesus is. And so this is what it says in in, uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. Herod says, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay homage. All right, now, if you haven't read the story, I say go read the rest of it later. That's not what Herod really intends, right? He's not really intending to do something good, but luckily the wise men, they live up to their reputation, right? And they decide not to side with Herod, but they do decide to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, where King David was anointed by God. 
And so they travel, and they make it to Bethlehem, and they follow the star till it stops, and they arrive, and it says that the, that the wise men were filled with great joy, with overwhelming joy. And what happens next is going to show us their posture of worship and the kind of worship that we want to emulate today if we believe what they believed. And so it says this in verse 11. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gifts, by the way, that were very expensive. Sometimes we don't fully understand the story because we don't have kings anymore. We don't understand what it meant to believe in someone as king, to have a king. What you have to understand is that a community's success was based off of their king. Everything was about the king. Everything ran through the king. If you had a corrupt king, it was not going to be a fun place for you to live. And if you had a good king, then you would have no problem trusting him with all you have to give because you know that he would be good to you. And so we get this story of people from outside of the religion that travel all this way and they bring their treasure chest and they give up their most valuable thing because they believed that Jesus was king. If you believe that Jesus is king, it will change everything you do and it will change who you are and it will change how you give gifts. This story reminds me of someone uh, near and dear to my heart, was kind of a mentor to me in college. His name was Brian. And uh, Brian was somebody who believed that Jesus was king. And the reason I can tell you that is because he brought everything he had and he gave it all to God. Everything that was valuable to him, any gift, he brought it to God. And you know why I know that? Because I was a broke college student. And I can't tell you how many car rides I can't tell you how many meals, I can't tell you how many moments and how many times he listened and how many times I needed to borrow a book or an instrument or anything that Brian was always willing to give to me. Because this was a man that truly believed that Jesus was king. And so Jesus got all of his treasures. And God used that in my life in amazing ways, in ways that led me to be here today. And so now what? Now what does this mean for you and for me? And the question that you have to ask yourself, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Because the way that you answer that question will change everything. The way that you answer that question will affect every decision that you make in life and will affect how much you are willing to bring to the table. If Jesus is your king, what would you bring to him? What are your most precious treasures? 
What are the things that you own that are the most valuable, the things that are the nearest and dearest to you? And do you believe Jesus is king? Because here's the thing. If you don't believe Jesus is king, if you're here today and you're new or you're with family and you don't believe Jesus is king, you're off the hook, right? Because I, I would get why you wouldn't trust your stuff with other people. I don't want to give my stuff to other people. I want to be in charge of my stuff. I want to be in charge of my money and my home and my car and my food and all, this, all these things we talked about. And so if Jesus isn't your king, you're off the hook because I wouldn't trust anybody with my stuff. But if Jesus is your king, if you answer yes to that question, then it's going to change everything about all that stuff that I just mentioned. And so you have to ask yourself, if Jesus is your king this holiday season, if Jesus is your king today and tomorrow, this week and this next month, what does that mean for your treasures? What does that mean for your stuff? Think of how you might spend your money this holiday season if Jesus is your king. And I want to make a, clar a clarifying statement here. Uh, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, I would imagine that at some time you will give some of your money to the church. But my hope is that you will give all of your money to God. I want to make that distinction. We're not just asking you about giving your money to church. We're saying give all your money to God. How many of us are intentional about conversations we have with our money? How many of us get our paycheck or get our money, however we get our money, and look at it and say, God, how do you want me to use every single penny of this? How might your money look this holiday season if you said, I'm going to give it all to Jesus because he's my king and I trust him? How might your home look this holiday season if you said, God, this is a valuable thing that I own and I'm giving it to you? It's not my home, it's your home. What would it look like if your meals, if your car, if you gave those things to God? Anything that you have a value, your times, your skills, yourself. If Jesus is your king, it's got to change everything. My challenge to you this week is uh, I, I want us to be intentional. Because what can happen is when we give up control, it's hard. At least it's really hard for me. And I think it might be hard for you too. And so what happens is if we don't really have a plan, we kind of just let it keep sliding. Like, I'll just do it later. At least that's what happens in my life. And so my challenge to you guys this week is that if you say yes today to Jesus being your king, Start being intentional about the treasures that you have to bring. My goal for you is to make a list. I made a list today. Make a list of things that you think are valuable to you, things that you own. For some of you, you may want to write a bunch of things down. You're ready for that challenge. For some of you, it may just be one area. You may just write something like my finances, my home, whatever it is. And just for the next week, I want you to take this list and once a day, I want you to just look at it and be intentional with God, saying, God, if I give this all to you, what, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? My hope is today is that before you leave, you'll write a list. Whatever you're ready for, don't bite off more than you can chew. Just take a practical step forward and say, every day this week, God, what would happen if I gave you all this? Because I believe you are my king, and I trust you, and I know that what you are going to do is good. The bottom line is that 
If Jesus is your king, you will give him everything. Think of how far these people came. And they opened up their treasure chest and they gave their most valuable items. But it's because they believed Jesus was king. And if you believe that, and I believe that, we will do the same. And not only can we do that on an individual level, but can you believe if we actually did this as a community, what would happen? Can you imagine if we all came together and we all were like these wise men and we all brought our treasure chests and we all opened them up, what kind of a difference we could see? The amazing thing is we don't have to imagine it because I believe that we do that here at Mountain View. I'm going on my second, or I'm about to be here two years at Mountain View. And I believe that I have seen here a generous church, a church that believes Jesus is king. And we just have examples over and over again. And actually, I just want you guys to celebrate and see how we do this, see what happens when a community comes together and they actually give all their treasures. So I have a couple guests who are going to come up here, and they're going to share some stories with you about what happens when our community lives this out, when we worship together through giving gifts. And as they're making their way up here, let me start with my own example. I said I'm the student ministry pastor here, and uh, I will have been here two years in January. And I believe wholeheartedly that mission trips, camps, and retreats make a huge difference in students' lives. And since I have been here, our church has paid for at least part of 30 uh, students to go to one of these events where they wouldn't have been able to go if it wasn't for people who gave above what they already give. And from those students, we've had three students baptized in the last year who were part of that. Sure, yeah. We've had, we've had even more students who they just weren't that connected, and because they went, they got really plugged in to church. And even more than that, who have just grown in their faith or have made a decision that I, I want to get back on track with God in my life. All because people were willing to surrender everything to God. I'm going to invite Sherry over here. She's going to share with you just a story about uh, our No One Left Behind ministry and, and what's happened when some people were just willing to go above and beyond. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Um, I was asked to um, share with you about No One Left Behind which is um, how our church helps the impoverished in our community. No One Left Behind currently provides showers and clean socks uh, two times a week for those living in homelessness. They also provide a couple meals during the week on Friday night and Sundays after second service. I'm going to tell you today about um, a woman that um, I had the pleasure of meeting and, and getting to know there too. But Ron um, Schurler has given a part of this story that I'm gonna read the story of the woman's words herself and how Mountain View, coming here and meeting God has changed her life. So Ron Schurler recalls that um, the woman I'm talking about is Vicki Carl. She attends second service. So Ron says, her involvement with No One Left Behind started when she would come to get a shower. 
As I understand her story, she's had a difficult life and had withdrawn from any close personal relationships to the point that she told me she had not a friend. And I believe that was true. She had decided that the only way to keep from getting hurt by people was to refuse to let anyone into her world. Later, she began coming to our Friday night meal where she had her famous encounter with Pastor Tom. I don't have any more information about that. <laughs> <laughs> but she also met Frankie Gentle, who is a member of Mountain View Christian Church. And here's what Vicki shared with me about meeting Frankie. The thing about Frankie was that she would come into Friday night dinner and she was always smiling and just so happy and bright. And for some reason, she always stopped by me. I would think, oh no, I don't want any of this. I don't need it. I'm not the most uplifting person and I don't want to be. I don't want to be happy. Just leave me alone. But you couldn't be, you couldn't be rude to Frankie. She's too bright and happy. But it never failed. There she was. After a little bit, she would talk to me about her husband. It had been four years, but Frankie was still grieving his death and was being told it was time to let it go. Here was a lady from this church telling a stranger this personal stuff. She wasn't eating, wasn't hungry, and didn't sound like it was okay to be alive with this grief. So I was compelled to start leaving her cards with a message from God that she was not alone and that he loved her. I gave one card to a lady that was sitting by me, and as Frankie got up and went somewhere, I asked the lady to put the card in Frankie's stuff by her seat. She said, you're the one. And she told me that her mother had read the cards every day. That made me feel really good. There was just a lot going on with this, and I didn't see the full picture. After this encounter and her getting to know Frankie, this was about the time that Linda Mann became taking her to lunch and shopping with another person. And then Vicki began attending our fourth Sunday meals. And then, in February of 2019, we're friends on Facebook, and I saw this Facebook post myself, and she wanted to share this with a lot of people, and that's not like her, but I'll read to you what she wrote, and she has given us permission to read this. Was shopping for stuff at the store yesterday, just in case I couldn't get out. Well, I met this man by the name of Randall at Safeway. He walks with a cane and asks me if I could tell him which bread was on sale for 88 cents. There was only one loaf of bread, so I gave it to him and told him there was a better bread for 99 cents. He said he just needed the cheapest one. Then he asked if I could help him with some lunch meat. I said, does this face look like I want people to talk to me? He said, yes. <laughs> I can't remember what he said after that, only it made me say, I wanted it to look like I'd kick your behind. 
Randall had said he had somewhere to sleep for a couple of days and wanted to pick up some food to eat. We walked around the store while he shopped and used my cart to place his items in. We passed by Starbucks and there was a tray with samples on it. I took one and told the lady I was taking his and he ended up doing the same, so I got four. <laughs> Let's wake up, cold brew, whipped topping with chocolate sauce on top and little cups, hello. So I'm reading Tuesday, February 5th in the Daily Bread titled Moves of the Heart. And at the bottom it is written, in what ways does choosing to follow God unsettle you? How might prayer help to strengthen your faith and trust in him? I've spent most of my life keeping people away. And I tell you, the looks I used to give and have on my face all the time did not send a message to come near me. It sent the message, stay away from me. And it worked. The unsettling part is that the changes are from the inside out. No one here has ever encountered the rage I would unleash from the past if you dared to cross the line. I'd make sure you never made that mistake ever again. And I did not care what it did to you. I see it as a softening of the anger, hurt, pain, grief, rage, and so on. It catches me by surprise, as it did last night, that a total stranger would feel that he could approach me and I only felt a slight discomfort and ended up walking around the store and sharing God's work in my life. But I have to be upfront. The thought did enter my mind. Those Christian people, that's for you, Ron Schuler, who planted the seed. For those of us that live with the wreckage of our childhood and past, there is a softer road ahead. Life used to be like walking down a hallway with just enough room to squeeze through, except the walls are lined with razor blades, and every step slices you open. It's one step at a time. You scream alone, but you're not. No easy answers. Just know that you are never alone, and in some way, the Lord is with you. Look at the people around you. He's there. Vicki now goes out of her way to meet strangers and share God's love with them. That's a life I was looking back at my calendar. I can go back 12 years. Uh, and I know it goes beyond that. Uh, so over 12 years ago, three principals ago, uh, we took our first Saturday in August. We went over to Highland Elementary, uh, and, and we began working with Highland Elementary. Uh, and that year, we just simply went over and cleaned up school and got it ready for the school year. And we did that for a few years, and we just gave of our time, and we gave our gas, and, uh, and our labor, and our sweat, um, and just showed the love of Jesus, really to the staff. Um, but as time came on, a relationship began to be developed, and pretty soon they were asking, well, could you give some more of your time? 
would you help us? And so we began helping with things like school carnival. We began helping with things like people going over to tutor and to read stories to kids. Uh, and then we began uh, to give gifts at Christmas time. And then we began to invite them to come at Halloween and, and walk around our parking lot, give them lots of sugar and send them home. <laughs> Twelve years later, we are making an impact, not just in our community, but with, with the teachers. Last year, we, we helped 23 families from Highland with Christmas. They came, they shopped, they were loved on, they wrapped their gifts, they took American Christmas home. That so Im- met our, our teachers in their heart. In, in, a, in a significant way, they said, can, can we partner with you? It took 12 years, uh, and it took a lot of blood and sweat and tears. But 12 years later, we, we have a true partnership with our school just up the street. We're going to help 48 families this week together to have Christmas the way that, that we in America experience Christmas. With the poorest school in our community, one of the top five in our state, we're going to help this fall upwards of 50 kids every week be able to take food home who otherwise wouldn't have food on the weekends because mom or mom and dad, combination of whatever that looks like, work over the weekend and there otherwise would be no food in the house. Twice a year we give pencils because kids can't afford pencils to come to school to be able to write. We took our our Halloween trunk or treat from the church over to the school this year. We had more students come and participate than we've had any other year because we went into their neighborhood. It's taken time, but it's making an impact. And our resources and your resources is making a difference in the lives of our school in our neighborhood. Thank you. All these stories are possible because we have a community that believes something together, which is that Jesus is our king. And if he is our king, we worship him by bringing our treasure and saying, we're giving this all to you, and we're going to trust what you're going to do with it. Just imagine how God might continue to impact our church, our community, and even beyond our borders if we all come together and make him king. We're going to transition into uh, a time where you're going to hear about something uh, that our church is doing in a way to be a part of, of, of what we're asking you. And so I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to Craig, who's going to lead you in this time. God, thank you so much for Jesus. How incredible is Jesus that his birth was known so wide, that it was such a big deal. It was just, it was just a baby, yet people knew how incredible this event was. 
God, we just pray that you will make Jesus king in our lives. And that all the areas that we fight to have control, that we want to be in charge of our stuff, that that we want to give when it's convenient or easier, when there's something in it for us, or when we know exactly how it's going to turn out, that you would just let us let go of that. Because you are a good king, God, and we trust you. We just pray this week you'll help us be intentional. You'll help us make a step forward. And that everything we do with our, with our personal treasures and also that as we do as a church, it will be about you. And it will be about people experiencing life change in Jesus' name to grow in their relationship with him. Thank you, God, for all these things. Help us be more like your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christian. Can we say thanks, man? I got to tell you, I'm so excited that our kids get that every week. Our high school students uh, get to be blessed by, by Christian um, every Sunday. We're, gonna, we're, we're t- today going to begin um, something that we've been doing now for four years. Uh, and in, the, in, in our fall, for the last four years now, uh, we have done something called generosity. And it's simply an opportunity for three weeks for you to give above and beyond to local missions. Things that we're doing in the community right here to make a difference, to shine the light of Jesus around us. And so as you walked in today, if you got a bulletin, uh, there were uh, envelopes, offering envelopes. Um, and if you didn't get them, um, you can grab a bulletin and pull one out. Uh, there are extras in the back, but, but please grab one and contemplate, consider this week uh, a giving above and beyond uh, to our local missions, to uh, things like No One Left Behind, to Highland, to our student scholarships, uh, that, that we might make a difference. And this year, uh, one of the things that we're going to do, uh, that we want to, one of the ways that we want to help with our local missions uh, generosity offering is, is that we want to partner with NWCEA, because NWCEA is birthing a new church plant. It's called Movement Church. Sean Tomei is here today with us. Sean, come on up. And Sean's going to share with us just a little bit about uh, this partnership with Movement Church in the Portland area. So Mountain View, let's welcome Sean. Thank you, Craig. Well, good morning, church. On behalf of the NWCA, we just want to say thank you so much for all of the love, all of the prayer, all the financial support that you have been giving to us for years to the NWCEA. It's because you have been faithful in bringing your treasures to Jesus and bringing your tithes and offerings to this church that the missions team has then reached out and partnered with the NWCEA and helped us continue to do the work that God has called us to do. So we just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for uh, your support, your prayer support, and your financial support. The NWCA simply exists to exalt Jesus as king and as, as Lord of lords. And we want to see the kingdom of God expanded, especially here in the Northwest where it is uh, very unchurched. And so we're trying to bring the good news of Jesus into every nook and cranny of darkness for people. And basically we exist to come alongside to help encourage pastors. And then we get to help equip leaders. And then we get to help establish new churches. Now I've had people say, Sean, why in the world are we starting new churches? Don't, or don't we have enough churches? Do we, need, do we really need more churches? And the answer I give them is, I'll give you 1.5 million reasons why we need to start new churches. Now, maybe you're familiar with uh, people across our nation um, 
affiliating themselves, identifying themselves as a religious nun, religiously unaffiliated. In 2014, we're told that 23% of Americans uh, identify themselves as religiously unaffili- uh, unaffiliated, as, as none, as in they don't believe anything. It's projected in 2020, that's, that's going to go from 23% to 30%. In the Portland metro area, in the seven counties that make up the Portland metro area, those that identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated is 72%. Church, when you add up all the numbers of that 72%, just in the Portland metro area, that equals just over 1.5 million people in the Portland metro area that identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated. So why are we planting new churches? We have 1.5 million reasons why we're planting new churches. We've helped establish, we've helped uh, launch uh, three new churches this year, and uh, the one that we're excited to talk with you about briefly this morning is Movement Church. This is uh, Sam and Kelsey Wake uh, here. Uh, Sam and Kelsey Wake with their little girl in the middle, that's Journey, and then their other little one is Desi. She's going to turn a year old in just a couple of weeks. Sam and Kelsey Wake, two and a half years ago, moved from Newburgh, Indiana, 2,000 miles away, and traveled here to southeast Portland to help start a new church. Now, if you ask Sam and Kelsey, why in the world would you go from Newburgh, Indiana, all the way here to southeast Portland, they would simply say, because we believe God told us to. And we're so excited to be able to partner with them. They're planting right in the middle of southeast Portland area where basically about 7% of people say that they participate in some type of religious activity. Not just Christian, but just some type of religious activity. And that's why they are planting there, trying to reach people. But here's what we found out in the last two and a half years as we've partnered with them is that people in this area are not necessarily interested in coming to a church service right away. So people that are far away from Jesus, what we're finding out is that that they're very interested and willing to participate in spiritual conversations. Now maybe you've heard some statistics uh, that those that are under the age of 40, 9 out of 10 of them that are far away from Jesus are not really interested in walking through the front doors of a church building to explore who Jesus is. They're willing to come, but that's just not their first entry point. But here's what we're finding out, that those that are under the age of 40, those that are far away from Jesus, six out of 10 of them are interested in engaging in a spiritual conversation about King Jesus. And so what we're doing with Movement Church is that we are training a group of people to engage lost people who are far from Jesus and how to bring the hope and the message of Jesus into every nook and cranny of evil and darkness and to then to begin to engage in spiritual conversations about who this King Jesus is. I want to introduce you to Will Valdez. This is the baptism that Will uh, just uh, participated in last Sunday. Now, you see Sam in the water there. He's got both hands raised up. One is in victory. 
One is in surrender, surrendering God. We'll go wherever it is that you want us to go and do whatever it is that you want us to do. We'll move from Newburgh, Indiana to Southeast Portland to say, we'll do this. And then here's this other hand up in victory going, thank you, God. This is our first baptism after two and a half years of spiritual conversation with Will Valdez. That started off by just spending time with Will, having coffee with Will, having Will and his family over for dinner, and just spending time engaging about who Jesus is. And then last Sunday, in the Willamette River, 42 degrees, Will Valdez gives his life over to King Jesus. So... Not only did he give his life over to Jesus, but then now God, they're originally from Miami, God is now calling them to go back to Miami and to continue to establish their family back there. And here's the question that Will and uh, his wife asked, Sam, will you teach us to do what you did with us so we can reach people in Miami the same way that you, you, that you reached us? So church... I just can't express to you enough on behalf of the NWCEA how grateful we are of you bringing in your treasures to help us start new churches here in the area. I can't tell you how grateful we are because you are bringing your treasures to Jesus that you are supporting Movement Church. Mountain View Christian Church has adopted, uh, has adopted Movement Church or, and, and Sam and Kelsey. Not only is God using you to make a difference here in the Portland metro area, but now God is getting ready to use you to send Will and his wife to Miami to tell people about King Jesus. On behalf of the NWCA, thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for bringing your gifts to King Jesus and allowing us to partner with you. Whew. I'm excited, are you? Oh man, that is good. So, so here they are, above and beyond. If you wanna make a difference in local missions, which would, would encourage you, take these home, pray over them this week, put your gifts in, bring them back, and let's see God do some great things because we were willing to simply bring our gifts. Hopefully you've been able to write down some prayer requests on your communication card. If you're new uh, at Mountain View this week, please, again, hang on to this. As soon as we're dismissed, I'll be over here uh, at the Mountain View and Five Sign. would love to see uh, and say hello to you and talk with you about what God has been doing in your life that he would bring you here to worship with us. Ushers, would you come forward, please? We'll collect those things.